What is going on, everybody? Welcome to the Ask LFC podcast. My name is Harrison. It is good to be with you. I'm here today with... Hey, Mike Moses, lead pastor of Lake Forest Church. Uh, good to see you today, Harrison. And hello, Ask LFC podcast listeners. It's good to be seen. And as a sneak peek of what we're going to be talking about today, something Mike and I are both excited about, because if you've been any kind of fan of this podcast, you know that both Mike and I geek out on whatever our intro music is. And it just sets the tone and makes you feel good for the day. Yep, Mike, we're both... Music, musically wired people and we hear True. the world that way. So we're going to talk a little bit today about sound and music. How does that relate to how we worship? How do we process these things? So Yeah, uh, uh, it's sort of the, uh, the edited out page from my sermon on Sunday and turns out Harrison knows a little bit about this as well. But first, but first. coming in two weeks, we haven't even mentioned it, um, but it feels like it's right around the corner. That's right. We're kicking off uh, the season of Lent, uh, one of the one of the two seasons on kind of the liturgical church mm-hmm. calendar that we pretty steadily have observed mm-hmm. uh, here mm-hmm. at Lake Forest. So we have the first season is the season of Advent, which is the the uh, anticipation of uh, Christmas, of the arrival of Christ, the Christ right. child to the earth. The Advent means the coming, so we're looking mm-hmm. forward to the coming. The Lenten season is uh, the look ahead to Easter and to Jesus' death and resurrection. Yeah, and in that way, we are an ancient future church. If we were a, a, a fully traditional liturgical church, we would be observing uh, what's called the church calendar, uh, various seasons annually, uh, aspects of our of the biblical story. What we do is is we observe uh, religiously, you might say, in a good way, um, these two, um, the incarnation, and then of course the uh, the cross and the resurrection, and uh, it anchors our church year, our church calendar, mm-hmm. and so in that way, we're leaning into the best of historic Christian practices, which is being sure that we mark our time by Christian time and the most important uh, aspects of the story of God as it relates to us, and yet we we don't feel uh, linked to that for the rest of the year. But so Ash Wednesday is in a couple of Wednesdays from now. We're uh, This year we thought about doing it outside because of the coronavirus. We were going to do it under the pergola, but because that's so small, we would have to do a bunch of them. And now that the Omicron variant is going down, we'll do it in the worship center. Do we yeah. have two or three services scheduled? I believe we have two, uh, and that's going to be on March 2nd, Wednesday, March 2nd. And um, if you're interested at all in getting a little bit deeper into uh, into what Lent means and this practice of kind of mm-hmm. uh, taking, taking off and putting on... Uh, Mike, way back when we started this podcast, we're on a, we're on episode seventy five today, by the way, which feels like a, a nice it's a nice number of celebration. Yeah, yeah. but okay, way okay. back we did pop a pop quiz. Can okay. you do that in Roman numerals, a la the Super Bowl? Uh, no, it's been too long. Same here. Okay. <laughs> I, can't, I can't at all. <laughs> I'm glad that you can't either. But way back in the beginning, I'm t- like first five episodes maybe or something of this podcast, we did uh, an entire episode just talking about. You're right. Lent and what yeah. that means and how we celebrate. So if you're interested in that, you can throw back. We may even be talking about it again yeah. uh, through a new lens here Just, on the podcast. But 
it was so helpful for me. I, I grew up as a non-liturgical Christian. Uh, low church is what you call this, low church worship as, as opposed to high church. And it's been so helpful to me to prepare myself and my heart for um, the approach of Easter, for Easter worship, uh, to show up more like a Christian than a pagan <laughs> to Easter. <laughs> I'm like anticipated. I've prepared my heart for this uh, annual celebration. So that we'll look forward to that. That's in the evening of March the 2nd. And then just, just a little detail, and I appreciate uh, several of you have recently just noted to me in correspondence about other things. Hey, by the way, I love the podcast. So we appreciate you listening, mm-hmm. staying in touch with the leadership of your church. Um, we are this year, we will, because we're doing Hope in a House of Blues as our March series, we won't be tracking with Lent weekly on, on Sunday morning. Then, however, then we will pivot at the end of Hope in a House of Blues and we will hit more strongly than ever the season of Lent, but we're going to compress it because we're, <laughs> we're not bound to tradition. So we will compress it into the first three Sundays of April. We're going to call that series The Weekend. Oh, it's going to be so cool. I'm super excited the for it, weekend, by the way. Yeah. April 3rd, and, and we will hyper-focus on Lenten themes. April yep. 3rd will be uh, um, Good Friday, or the suffering of God. April 10th will be um, Easter Saturday, or the silence of God. And then April 17th is Easter. That's and right. that will be the victory of God. So we're looking forward to that. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. And, and we thought it was kind of cool, not... You know, maybe somewhere we thought about and realized this, but there, there, even though we're not majoring on it, there are for sure some uh, some Lenten themes that are involved in Hope in a House of Blues Certainly. that we're we're going to be Certainly. we're going to be living all around there. And and we realized I can't remember if we said this on the podcast over the past couple of weeks, Mike, or if it was just something that you and I had talked about. But it was a kind of cool. This was not planned, but a cool coincidence. Okay, in a way that. Uh, Hope in a House of Blues is hitting exactly two years after we first, oh, as wow. a world, shut down for COVID the first time. March uh, yeah, of right. March of 2020 was when we uh, we we suspended in person worship here. All of our restaurants, everything shut down. So re- so kind of as a as a two year marker to a lot of that just junk that we've been in we kind of get a chance to to air it all out together and we'll recognize that in hope and house of blues particularly the first sunday uh our art installation our public art project in which we'll all be invited to participate will uh be along that theme of grieving those two years of blues hey let's follow up on sunday's sermon we're in this uh, three-week series called made for this and uh, about the four aspects of discipleship, the way that we've defined it at Lake Forest. There's plenty of other churches have defined the discipleship process in their own ways, different ways. Rick Warren is very famous for the purpose-driven church and the five purposes of a Christian and church. So he's got five, we have four. <laughs> uh, actually, I used those here. So when, we, when I planted Lake Forest, I just uh, appropriated Rick's five uh, fold strategy of discipleship, and we use that. And then in 2009 and 10, we reworked the vision and values and um, 
how we understand discipleship at Lake Forest, and we came to these four. Discover, belong, share, go. So this Sunday, I, I honed in on one aspect of discover, which was worship. We were made to worship. And I had one question that was a really good question asked of me, and I want to address that. And then there's a page that I cut out of the sermon that I thought was super interesting, but it, it, uh, it was not essential. Um, and so we'll address it now, and it's something that you're in, interested in as well. So first of all, the question, um, someone noticed that in the Psalm 95, the Venite, that was pretty cool. By the way, I couldn't have, uh, two weeks ago, if you'd said, hey, there's a psalm called the Venite, I would have said, what? <laughs> These are things that I uncover in my own research, right? I, I, I read what other people have studied deeply about all these passages. <laughs> Very few of, of the ideas that I teach about Scripture are original to me. Just really the the butt jokes are really <laughs> what I add to the mix. Uh, and once again, someone in my house noted, Mike, um, potty humor, man, come on. You don't get your butt jokes from St. Augustine? N- no, uh-huh. no. He, he, That's interesting. He, he didn't have that kind of humor <laughs> as much as I do. So a question was, um, we noticed that in Psalm 95, it stated, the psalmist states that uh, God, Yahweh, is the God above all gods. And mm. what's the deal with that word gods? It's, it's a little G in the text as it comes to us. And the question was, is this the Bible acknowledging that there are other gods, they just are lesser, or... Um, what, what's the deal with that? That was the question that I was asked. I don't. Did you notice that word in the text? Uh, not particularly. Didn't stick out. I mean, you only pay attention to the music anyway, right? I yeah, mean, you're yeah. Sort of. No, that's playing it. words with friends the other rest of the time. Yeah, yeah. A lot of words with friends. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm just teasing. Um, so, uh, by the way, I think people would be interested to know what the worship team does during one of the worship services. You guys all attend with your families mm-hmm. one service. What do you do at the other service? Yeah, the other service, and this was a this was an awesome thing that uh, really began in earnest this summer, thanks to uh, a couple of our other awesome team leaders, uh, Danny and Aaron. But we get back in our green room and uh, get a chance with our team to just. Uh, ask how we can pray for each other, what's been going on in everybody's lives, and how we can lift each other up. And it's been a really neat way to uh, make sure that um, when folks come in to serve, which is super important, and we 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 really m- make it a point of emphasis each week before we start as we pray together, just for me to say, guys, this is uh, worship. Uh, there's an aspect of worship that's sacrifice, and you being here and giving your time and. Yeah what God's given you and giving it back. That's an act of worship. So that's important, but also just people knowing that they, uh, they belong. So that's which is this Sunday, Mm -hmm. uh, this Sunday's thing we were made to belong. Uh, I love that you do that because being in the worship team is, it's a thrilling thing for everyone who participates to use their gifts that way. But also it's a high commitment. There's two Mm -hmm. hours of rehearsal every Wednesday night, typically, and then they uh, arrive at 7 a.m. on Sunday and are here all the way until 12. So yep. that, that's, yep. <laughs> that's a minimum of seven hours. Um, uh, so I, I love it that within that, you're, since they're here and they're so intensive, 
you're allowing them to belong in Christ-centered community together and really pray about the things on each other's heart. Okay, back to the question. The word gods. Hmm. So uh, that Psalm 95 declaring in worship that Yahweh is the God above all gods is not in any way uh, an approval that there are other gods. It's an acknowledgement that particularly in the time of ancient Israel when the psalm was written, all of the surrounding peoples, their worldview was that every ethnicity group or cultural group has their own god. And this would be a god with a little g. Uh, and they would have thought of it that way. It was the god for our people and our place, a locality-based god or a, a tribal affinity-based god. They did not regard that god as uh, as. In, in any way, they did not conceive of that God as somehow behind, uh, who made everything, et cetera, et cetera. It was, it, it was very much, um, yeah, So you, I, I think I said that correctly. Um, what, the, uh, and by the way, there's a popular history book called The Gift of the Jews by Thomas Cahill. And one of the, uh, it's not a Christian book, uh, but it's a history book. And he says that one of the two main gifts that the Jewish people gave to uh, the world, world uh, civilization, and we would say, that, of course, this was God through his self-revelation to the Jews, is that, oh, no, no, there is a God who is above all, who's the creator God, who, who is not locality-based, who did reveal himself to a particular people, but does not limit himself to that people and is actually the God of all. And so that passage is not acknowledging, oh, there's other deities. Uh, In fact, it's an assertion uh, of the revelation that all the surrounding cultures, including the Greco-Roman world, eventually recognized, wow, Israel is making a unique claim that has never before been made, that there is one God over all. And this is why uh, we're recorded the Queen of Sheba, an African empire, came to visit Jerusalem in the time of Solomon, and others did. Because they wanted to see, could this be true? It was an idea that began to take hold and take root um, and emanated out of Israel. Uh, now, it, 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 it might be a, also a little bit of a recognition that there are um, malevolent spiritual beings in this world. The fallen angels uh, known as demons or the demonic. Uh, that There's also perhaps a bit of a sense that while those are real uh, and they're acknowledged throughout Scripture, um, God is the God above all those. I think that 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 concept, probably like most famously in terms of your Sunday morning Bible school stories, would be the uh, Elijah, Elijah versus the prophets of Baal on the mountaintop, yes. and mm-hmm. and he's saying, "Where are your gods?" He uses the same thing. Well, your gods save you will he answer you and they pray pray nothing happens yes and then he's like by the way elijah shared my sense of potty humor because he actually this is actually in the bible harrison is this first or second kings uh when he's he's saying to the priests of baal so where's your gods where are they why aren't they consuming this fuel has your god turned aside is the way it's typically translated but it means is your God uh, in the restroom? <laughs> that's, that's actually in the Hebrew. Uh, that's awesome. <laughs> Touche. 
Okay, so there, th- that's the answer to that question. <clears throat> uh, let's turn to something um, I, I had intent since we were talking about made to worship on Sunday, and usually what we're thinking about when we, when we use the word worship is worship through singing. That's uh, most definitive from one church to another is what style of music, etc. Um, and uh, euphemistically, you know, you, you will often say, hey, let's worship now. Uh, when we've already been worshiping, we heard God's word, we've been praying, we've been talking with each other. But we get it. Euphemistically, we're talking about the singing. And um, I ran across a mention of a study about um, how auditory uh, learning is not even the right word. How Pro- hearing processing things, maybe yeah. How hearing uh, strikes us deeper and faster and forms us even more than sight. Mm-hmm. Now you've read a whole book about this. What, what's the book you mentioned? Yeah, there's a book called "This Is Your Brain on Music" uh, okay. by an author named uh, Daniel Levitin, uh, who's a professor of of neuroscience studying okay. the brain okay. per, and particularly the mind. What was, what was, what was cool that I was, as I knew we were going to talk about this, Mike, I flipped through the, one of the really neat things that stuck out to me that resonates with what you're saying here. And I, I assume what you're about to say is that, uh, there are some functions of our brain, uh, that if you take damage to a certain spot, you know, right okay. behind the middle of your forehead, for example, that can, that can, drastically affect your personality or cause some parts of your personality to get lost. You become like a different person. That's kind of like localized. There's something that happens right there. Boom. There's, there's areas of the brain as they've mapped. Some things happen in some different areas and they've discovered there are some things and music, particularly when it comes to music okay. uh, and, and in some senses auditory processing, but particularly music as we're thinking about worship. Um, it's a full brain engaged activity. There's technical parts of it that even if you're not a musician that you're going, what does this technically sound like? What are the instruments doing? What are, what, what does the voice sound like of the singer that are kind of you're processing? And then there's like, uh, do I have memories of this song? Have I heard it before? Okay. What does this make me feel? How, how, how am I experiencing this? I, and even physical, is it making me tap my foot? Am I singing along with it? Am I clapping my hand? And as we engage with music, uh, our whole brain just lights up with activity in all different areas and ways that we interact with it, which, which I, I think is super cool. Interesting. And that speaks to the formative nature of congregational singing and music and worship and why from the very beginning, God's people, Israel, uh, you notice there in Psalm 95, our text for Sunday, uh, it's, it's about, it mentions coming together with, with singing, with music. And in the New Testament, uh, a passage I didn't get to, Paul says, hey, praise God together. He's talking to the early church with, what does he say, hymns, Spiritual songs. I'm, I'm trying to think of what so, songs, hymns, and spiritual songs. I think is the isn't phrase that they interesting. Say, yeah. mm-hmm. And and so that's actually um, I, uh, commanded is too strong of a word, but it is. Um, I mean, it's not that too strong, but it's more. This is this is the way that we are formed. Worship, as we talked about Sunday, is not just to make God happy. It is to add to God's glory. We're, we are glorifying God because he deserves it. But um, 
for us, it forms us. It shapes us. We use the word formation a lot uh, when we talk about spiritual growth. And so music, uh, and in particular, I, I'm not going to pull this study up, uh, but when people, when people engage in musical behavior together and they are expressing it themselves, there's something massively form, more formative than if you're singing by yourself. Um, uh, well, that's really interesting, Harrison. God, I mean, he made us. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so when, when we uh, repent of the self-life and we re- turn to what we aspire to as a God-centered life through faith in Jesus, then God leads us to how to be formed uh, for what we are saying we want, which is a God-centered life. And, and singing with music forms us deeply. There's a um, uh, audit. Did you know there's such a thing as an auditory neuroscientist? Uh, yes, but just you knew that just because I I am weird so like that. That's who wrote that book, probably. Well, uh, a man named Seth Horowitz is an auditory neuroscientist at Brown University, which, uh, which incidentally is where my oldest son went to college. I enjoyed my visits to Providence, Rhode Island, during his four years there. And he wrote a book called The Universal Sense and said that sound is the sense that is always on, even when you're asleep, by the way. Hmm, Um, And that sound's purpose in us is to trigger and form deeply held emotions. And that makes sense. Like we teach the Bible to inform our brain, to form our brain to hold rationally to the truth of who God is. And then I think we sort of get it, but this was helpful for me, that our singing the same truths is to trigger deeply held emotion to connect to that truth so that, so that it's both a, a, a mind and an emotional thing. Um, yeah, and, and he, he, he contends in, in his book that sound isn't just part of our world, it makes our world. And, and again, this, this only elevates what you do, Harrison, for a living. Sound doesn't ju- isn't part of our just part of our world. It makes our world, um, and that the mind. Well, that's you just illuminated this further. That sound act fires the whole brain. We've all seen images of a part of the brain firing right uh, when something happens, and it fires the whole brain. It's it's our emotional driver. It's our attentional driver. Uh, he says through his research and. Uh, sound has an impact on us and changes how we respond to the rest of the world. And this is why gathering weekly in worship with music and singing involved is to uh, impact and change how we respond to the rest of the world. It does, as I said, it, it, it gets into, into our very fiber of our being that God is great and God cares for me. And, and God knows that this happens through the auditory lens. So um, think about, like, what's the most, Harrison, what's the most comforting sound in the world to you? What is it? And <laughs> listeners, think yeah. about what's the most comforting sound in the world. It, it drives some really important emotional reactions in you. What is that? Yeah, I, I grew up in, uh, in Florida, not far from the ocean. So for me, probably one of the top things, at least the first that comes to my mind, is just 
sitting calmly on a beach and just hearing the sounds of the wind and okay. the and the waves. That's a, okay. that's a pretty good one for me. When I think about that question, I think first of all the sound of a fire in a fireplace mm. with snow falling outside. That so that's sort of visual and auditory, but pure auditory comforting sound for me is I love to hear the sound of rain on the roof and I love it if I'm in a position where I can take a nap when it's raining or thundering. Ah, that sound. That's a sound that drives deep emotion within us. It, 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 uh, it kind of wants you, makes you want to take a nap, like be in a hammock on a porch listening to that. Um, now, this is Horowitz's illustration, not mine. Let's listen again. You know what, Harrison, that sound? That is not rain on a roof. It's mealworms eating a bat carcass. <laughs> That's disgusting. <laughs> and, and when you hear that, you go from relaxed and y- your whole brain in this peaceful spot to like the, 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 the yuck response in, in 300 thousandths of a second. When we see things, our brain reacts... Um, at a certain speed, but when we hear things, we react. Um, I think is a factor of twenty times faster. Three hundred thousandths of a second. Sound drives us. And uh, Dr. Horowitz writes, everything you hear has some kind of an impact on you and changes how you respond mm. to the rest of the world. And and so Harrison, I think why we're made for worship, and and this gets to our world today. The rest of the world is not giving us a sound that's comforting. Uh, The rest of the world is giving us loud, angry sounds, frightening sounds, critical sounds, dismissive, judgy sounds. It's in the air. And and honestly, I would say it's the sound of a world in, in Romans 8. It's described as groaning for what is next. It's groaning wishing to be released from being in its fallen state, uh, as, as Paul writes. And if we're going to follow Jesus in this world, we really need to have the sound of hope ringing in our ears. We need that sound at 300 thousandths of a second. <laughs> the sound of hope, the sound of worship, the sound of God's greatness, the sound of God's care in worship music. We need that sound of Jesus' resurrection ringing in our hearts uh, and in our ears, the sound of how much we're loved by God. We need that ringing in our ears. That's why we worship. That's why we have music in worship. That's why we're made for worship. And I, I think music does the same thing as the question that you just posed, because I think all of us uh, could answer that same question. Uh, what is a sound that brings you to a happy spot? You could answer that same question with, what is a song that immediately when you hear it, you're like, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, that's all. And, and I was thinking uh, a song in a group. Um, you hear the song, if you're a, a Carolina Panthers football fan, you hear the song Sweet Caroline, and your brain <laughs> right away puts you in, yeah. a, gr- in a group of 60,000, 70,000 people singing that song. And it's, it's a different experience being at Bank of America Stadium, belting that song out at the top of your lungs, or than if I, you know, gently 
played the song from my computer speakers right now. And we sat here, we're like, hmm. but you hear those things and it kind of shortcuts you to emotion. So just that one song, if you played it and you were a Panthers fan, you're used to singing it at the stadium, you know, you're thinking of your favorite memories of games. You're thinking about the, the food and the drinks that you get when you're at like all these things. It's just a shortcut to, uh, memories that you like. And I've heard it said, uh, there was a, a pastor, uh, who was teaching once on worship and he said, uh, a major part of worship is, is us reminding ourselves who God is. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, yes, it's, it's commanded, uh, God desires our worship. Um, but so much of that is, is formational on our parts of just remembering who he is. I, how cool was it just a few days ago on Sunday, we, we got to the end of our time of singing through music, uh, worshiping through music together and just about acapella, uh, the whole room singing, then sings my soul. My yeah. soul. And for a bunch of us, just even just hearing a hymn like that, uh, yeah. uh right away, just, just a lot, a lot quicker than any, any, thing you could see or words that can be spoken just put you in that mindset of of odd worship of just feeling yes. that tangible sense that I am right now in communion and relationship with the God of the universe and with the Holy Spirit. It's just and a awesome. part of God's people. That's right. Uh, both of our boys studied abroad during college in Spain in different cities. And I think it was in Sevilla when Austin studied there. Angie and I visited. We had to check on our boys. And we were in a cafe. It's very selfless. Yeah, there in <laughs> Spain. And, and it was glorious. And that Neil Diamond song came on, uh, Sweet Caroline. And and I had this overwhelming sense of I'm in a different country, which I enjoyed. But I this sense of being a North Carolinian mm-hmm. came over me, as you mentioned that. My identity and I like that part of my identity. I love that part of who I am. And I am. I'm a Carolina boy in many ways. And and that's what worship music does for us f- formatively. And, you know, yesterday, Harrison, you and I had the privilege of co-leading a funeral of one of our dear longest-time ministry partners, Regina Singletary. We're, we're, we love Regina. I, I cried a little bit just because I'll miss her, but I was happy. I called myself happy sad at mm-hmm. the funeral because her her body had run its course. It, her journey was over, and so it was joyful for her to be released into the full freedom of the children of God and the kingdom of God. But at the end of every funeral that I lead, <laughs> you and I lead people in amazing grace. Mm-hmm. And to That's your right. point, it reminds us of who we are, that hymn, above all, really, in Christendom, reminds Christians of the number one thing for which we're thankful. That when we find out there is one God above all, this God with a capital G, uh, this God is not only creator, not only mighty, not only king of all, but is gracious Mm. to us and gifts us with God's love, gifts us with the forgiveness that we need, gives us with adoption as his children, gifts us with salvation, gifts us with his son Jesus to see who God is and be reconciled to God and gifts us with the Holy Spirit as a down posit, a guarantee Hmm. of 
eternity, our eternity in God's kingdom. And so, number one, we don't sing that often enough in our worship services. That's an official request. Let's do it. Uh, people growing up at Lake Forest should know that hymn. And number two, um, isn't it glorious that we get to worship together? We get to be reminded uh, through the worship music at 300 thousandths of a second we are taken to that place and we are formed in God's greatness and his care for us because of his grace I'm mm-hmm. grateful that we get to sing together we get to hear God's word together every week Harrison and I'm grateful that he's appointed you and I to be the uh, the curators of that for our our beloved friends it's a great joy and I would be I love music so much I would probably be a part of music regardless but I'm extra thankful that uh, I get to be a, a part of it for what we get to do it for because uh, if, if we're going to be helping to foster and shape those connections in people's brains I would sure love to be a part of the side of that that uh, when people hear the stuff that I'm doing it immediately just reminds them of who God is that's pretty cool so we're made to worship and those of you who are not really a fan of the singing part of worship services, I, uh, I, I would love for you this Sunday to, to try it on a bit more for the formative aspect of it. It's how our brains are wired. It's what we've learned about how God made us, and he made us to be formed in this way, and it will only result in greater joy for you if you, you auditorially uh, use your vocal cords in harmony with others, and God will gift you with a greater sense of his greatness and his care for you. Hey, good to be with you all. We'll talk to you next week. See you next time.